Good morning, church. Well, last week Dale preached and the lights went out. Um, It's kind of a hard thing to follow up, but I'm going to do my best. Um, Today I want to take you on a little journey, if I may, um, to give you a little insight into how I craft a sermon, okay? And so... About a month and a half ago, no, I take that back, October, first week of October, Dale asked me if I would consider preaching today, and I said, okay, and so he, he sent me the text from which we are going to be in today, which is Mark 10, um, verse 13 through 16, and if you spent any time in the church, this would be a familiar passage to you, and so... We're going to pick it up, Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 13. So people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And then he took the children in his arms, and he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Okay? Now, this is a story that I've heard numerous sermons preached on. Okay? Um, And usually... It talks about children and what a blessing they are and that, you know, we need to become like little children, okay? But then something struck me. So I want to pray and then we're going to talk because this is not going to be as much of a sermon today as a friendly conversation, okay? So let's pray. God, our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to you humbly yet boldly, we come to your throne of grace in our time of need. So, Father, what we know not, teach us. Father, what we have not, give us. What we are not, kindly make us for your Son's sake. Father, speak now, for your children are listening. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So, Saturday, I was at work, and it's really cool now. I have dual monitors on my computer. And so, yeah, it really feeds into my ADD really a whole lot. But So, on one side of the monitor, I had the scripture, Mark chapter 10, 13 through 16. And on the other side, I had my sermon. Oh, let me caveat that by saying my work was done. (laughs) And if the phone had rang, I would answer the phone. Or if a a mechanic came to the counter, I would stop what I was doing and help. Um, So I'm reading this story. And I'm thinking, okay, I think I got this. I'm really happy with what I have. 
And so I'm sitting there meditating, and I'm like, I don't have it. I don't got it. I don't think this is what Jesus is talking about. So I hit the back button, and I kept going, and I kept going, and I kept going. Till finally I had erased about 80% of the sermon that I had written. And so I was like, okay, God, obviously you don't want me to head down this road. So let's explore a little bit this story and maybe look at it with fresh eyes. As Gail has said over the last couple of weeks, um, Jesus' public ministry is now over. And he's concentrating his teaching on the disciples. And so we need to look with different lenses than we had in some of the other stories. So in verse 13, we read, people were bringing little children to Jesus. Okay? It's easy to assume that they're parents. Um, It could be aunts or uncles. It could be caretakers. But people were bringing children to Jesus. For him to place their hands on him. Hey, they were just trying to get to Jesus. I don't know if they had faith in him. Um, They probably had witnessed um, the miracles that he was performing. The fact that he had fed the 5,000. They knew that they just wanted to get them to Jesus. And just simply lay their hands on him. In first century Jewish culture, it was Um, commonplace for um, fathers of children to bless their children. The first one got the most portion and then so on and so on. And so here's this Jesus. We don't quite know what to make of him, but we know we want to get him, we want to get our children to him. Because as, as a parent, what do we want most of all? We want our children to know that they are loved and blessed and secured. So these parents are just simply trying to look after their children. Okay? But then the disciples get in the way. It says here that the disciples rebuke them. Okay? Why, why, why Why are the disciples doing that? Okay, scripture doesn't tell us, but I kind of think that maybe um, they were protecting Jesus' time, that they did not think that the little children were worth Jesus' time and effort. Um, In first century Roman and Jewish culture, children had no significance. Okay, they were thought of as non-people. Until they reach, reach the age of 13, which in the Jewish culture is adulthood. And so that awkward time from after birth to the time that they reached 13, they basically had no social status. They had nothing to offer the family until they became 13 and they could go to work or um, some other endeavor to help the family. So the disciples were probably thinking that these children were not worth Jesus' time. But that Jesus had an issue here. 
Verse 14 says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Okay? It's a fancy word for saying he was ticked off. Okay? He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. The Greek word for hinder means to put an obstacle in the way of. He says, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Let the little children come to me. Remember, we have talked about Jesus, meek and mild, and he's anything but meek and mild here. What was really funny, if you go back up into Mark chapter 9, just a little bit ago, verse 42, Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be much better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and be thrown into the, into the river or into the sea. Now, Dale told us that the millstone is a 2,000-pound rock, basically. It's a round rock. It's used to crush grain. Okay? Jesus says, if you hinder anyone from coming, especially children, it would be better for you to have that stone around your neck and throw yourself into the sea. What is Jesus saying here? He's basically saying there's no hope for you. And I, I sometimes think, what were the disciples thinking? Five minutes ago, Jesus is telling them, telling them, don't hinder the children. Now what are they doing? Just a few sentences later, they're hindering them. It's like they didn't get the message. My father, dealing with us boys all the time, I remember this as plain as day. And you guys probably heard this too. If I've told you once, yes, I've told you a thousand times. I, I honestly think that this is probably Jesus' attitude here. He's like, how could you be so dense? We just talked about this. I'm doing some training at work with, with a new employee. And she's catching on a little slowly. And so for me, it's how many times do I have to show you? Okay? Apparently one more time than I have. Because you're not getting the point. So I think the disciples here are just not getting the point. And that's good news for us, I think, as a follower of Christ. I don't always get it. I look at scripture and I go, whoa, I really failed that one, didn't I? But Jesus says, let them come to me and do not put an obstacle in their way. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So there's something there. Verse 15 says, I tell you truly, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. What's Jesus talking about here? 
says, if you do not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, does that mean we should receive it innocently? Trustingly? Without reservation? Somewhat. I'm going to pick on somebody, and this person does not know I'm going to do this. So I hope that she will play along, because otherwise then this example is going to be really embarrassing. Amelia, will you come up here, please? Please. You're amongst friends. I just have a couple questions to ask you, okay? This is my friend, Amelia Benz, okay? She is, how old are you, Amelia? How old? Ten. Ten? All right. Okay. Amelia would be in the age group that this story is about. Okay. We have not talked beforehand, right? Okay. Well, we have talked, but we haven't talked about this, right? Amelia, do you always do what your mom and dad say? No? Really? But I thought you were a perfect angel. No? Okay. Have you ever... Here, step up here so everybody can see you. Have you ever told your parents something that wasn't true? I got to tell you guys, on Wednesday night, she will talk my ear off, okay? But I understand. So are, are you telling me you're not perfect? Really, that's good. I'm glad you have an understanding of that. That really makes this example really work. Okay? Do you like Taylor Swift? She's okay? Okay. I got to ask you a question. If I had two tickets in my pocket to go see Taylor Swift, which I don't, but if I did... And you had a choice between going to see Taylor Swift or going to church on Sunday. Which would you choose? Be honest with me, okay? It's okay. You'd probably want to go to the concert, right? Okay. <laughs> this did not work out like I had planned. Okay. Okay, would you rather go have ice cream or, or stay here? Okay. That didn't work out either. That didn't help at all. So anyway, thank you for being a good sport. I appreciate that. All right. Here's what I'm really trying to get at. Amelia admitted that she's a liar. <laughs> I know, pretty harsh, Amelia, aren't I? I pretended to be your friend. But she, she admitted she doesn't tell the truth. Well, what is someone who doesn't tell the truth? Right, absolutely. That's my friend Xavier. I love these kids. I really do. Scripture says that there is no place in heaven for those who lie. Okay? That's the amazing thing about grace and mercy. But we'll talk about that in a few minutes. 
So there's got to be something else, in my opinion, okay, to come as a child before God. What does that mean? What do I have to offer Jesus? What do I have to offer God? It's a trick question, by the way. In all honesty, I have nothing to offer God. Isaiah says, even my good deeds are like filthy rags. So there has to be something to this story. What am I missing here? So I have nothing to offer God. I have, whoop, I take that back. I have one thing to offer God. What do you think that is? My heart? I hear that a lot. The only thing I have to offer God is my heart. Problem is with that, when we look at scripture, the heart is full of deceit and can lead you astray. So there has to be something else that I have to offer God. So I think about it a little bit more. The only thing that I have to offer God is my sin. Because that's what I am. I am a wretched sinner, according to Scripture. Now, I somewhat would like to think that I'm a good guy. Okay? I have been a believer since 1990. I have pastored a church for seven years. I have been an elder for, I'm sorry, Dania, five years. I don't remember. Four years, five years. Okay. Still a newbie. I graduated from college in 2010. Cum laude with high honors. That's all nice stuff. The only thing I have to offer my God is my sin. Of which I have done. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 writes these words. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Jesus Christ, who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul has a pedigree that's undeniable. If anyone has a right to boast in their accomplishments, it's Paul. But he doesn't. You can look at my resume. 
There's nothing. There's nothing there. So what do any of us have to offer? Paul says in verse 7, But whatever gains to me, I now consider the loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may find Christ. And be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from observing the law. But that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's the great exchange. So I have no right standing before God. I am a sinner in need of grace. And then at the cross of Calvary, I take my sin, whatever it is, and I put it at the foot of the cross. And that is where the great exchange occurs. I am no longer a sinner. I have been forgiven and I am free. That is the only thing I have to offer Jesus Christ. And now because of that great exchange and my appreciation for what he did for me on the cross, now I go and serve him. But as Paul Harvey says, here is the rest of the story. In verse 16, he took the children in his arms and he placed, hands on, he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. Do you remember why the parents took their children to Jesus? was so that he could lay hands on them. But what happened? Did you catch it? He not only laid hands on them, he picked them up, and he loved on them, and he put them in his arms. He laid hands on them, and he blessed them. The parents were basically hoping that he would simply just lay his hands on him, but he did over and above what the parents could even think or imagine at that time. And what happens at the cross? He not only forgave my sin, he took me, a wretched, plank-eyed sinner, and he took me, and he grabbed me up in his arms, and he cleaned me off. He says, your sins are forgiven. He says, now go. 
an amazing story. I'm going to pick on Amelia again. Amelia, stand up. Now, everyone, do you want to be the one who tells Amelia that Jesus is not worthy of her time? Do you want to be that person? I don't. You can sit down. Thank you. Nick, stand up. Yeah, I know. This is a child of God. Do you want to be the one that puts an obstacle in his way of getting to Jesus? I don't want that responsibility. Matter of fact, I'm going to fight even harder to get him there. Thank you, Nick. So yes, sometimes we need to be like little children, lost, with no, nothing to offer, except a belief that Jesus can make us well. doesn't matter what you've done, and I have done so much. bring shame and embarrassment to my Savior. There's nothing save not believing in Jesus that you could ever do. That God doesn't scoop down, clean you off, and say, I've exchanged your sin for my righteousness. So now when my father looks at you, you are now righteous. It's an amazing gift. But you don't know what I've done. If I had a dime for every time I heard that. I know. But I know what Jesus did at the cross. I don't know what you did, but I know what Jesus did at the cross. And it was enough. So don't tell me You can't come to the cross. I like to say that the cross is open 24-7, 365, 364 some years. It stands as a testament to Jesus' sacrifice. It's always here. It's always open. There's nothing that you could have done. I need you to hear that today. That Jesus' love and grace hasn't covered. Because if there is, then the Bible's a lie. And the whole thing, and our faith is in vain. I'm telling you, I'm pleading with you. If you believe that your sin is keeping you from coming to the cross, I need to talk to you. It's not that way. So how do you become like a child? 
first of all, knowing that you're a sinner. And then believing in God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life to be a substitute for sin, dying a death that we deserve to die. And he lived a life that we couldn't live. And then admit that you need a Savior. And by admitting you need a Savior, the great exchange takes place. That he exchanges your sin for his righteousness. You didn't deserve it. It didn't cost you a thing. It's free. It's a free gift of God. So today... If you believe your sin is keeping you from the cross, I am begging you. Come talk to Dale, one of the elders. Someone. Because in all actuality, the only one hindering you from coming to the cross is you. So today, be like a child. Nothing to offer. Nothing to give. Nothing of a worth. Accept your sin. Then exchange it for his righteousness. Let's pray. God, our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, which means so much. That you have taken a wretched sinner like me, in his filth and disgust. With nothing to offer but his sin. And you've taken that wretched sinner and you've cleaned him up. He said, let me take care of that sin. And in its place, provide you with my righteousness. It's my blood that will pay the price for your sin. Father, take this life and let it be consecrated, Lord, unto you. Allow us to walk out of here with the full assurance that our sins are forgiven and that we can walk in the newness of life that you provide for us. And in thanksgiving and song, the entire church says, Amen.